It's McClure, deep right corner. Yeah, he's hit another one. Same spot. King McClure has hit two threes from deep in the right-hand corner. Get off on the baseline. Gives it away to Butler. Butler back outside. Here's a three. Right side by McClure. It's another three. Mason up the left side of the floor. McClure, a three. Yes! King McClure nails another three. And now it's time for a King's Court Podcast. And here's your host, King McClure. Welcome back to episode five of King's Court Podcast. Today we're talking about overcoming adversity part two. And the reason why I'm doing multiple parts to this is because I feel like this is such a huge thing in this world. Life hits you all the time and you have to respond. You know, the way you respond to the adversities that hit is going to determine how successful you are in life. And I'm bringing in guests who have gone through huge adversity so that people can hear their stories. People can see how they overcame that and maybe learn something from it. And today's guest is somebody who has helped me out tremendously and been been there throughout my whole career. This whole Baylor career in four years. She is probably the sweetest person on this earth. And I've never met anybody that doesn't like her. Everybody loves her and thinks so highly of her. And it's no other than Miss Holly Rowe. Welcome back. Today I have Miss Holly Rowe. How are you doing, Miss Rowe? I'm doing great. I'm so happy that you're having me on your podcast. Very excited for you. Yes, ma'am. It's, it's an honor to really you know, sit down and talk to you. And I'm glad that you would do this. Now, before we get started, I would like to say you're probably one of the coolest people ever in on the planet. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> you, you really are. Like, everybody uh-huh. loves you. I've never met anybody that has anything negative to say about you. And it's me personally knowing you. You're like definitely one of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Yes, man. Well, the topic today is overcoming adversity. And before we get into that, I kind of want to know more about your background, know about you growing up, what made you get into uh, the broadcasting industry. So let's let's start there. So let's let's talk more about Holly Road growing up in let's start high school. Okay, well, I grew up in Bountiful, Utah, which is exactly like it sounds. It's a very wholesome, beautiful place, um, just kind of outside of Salt Lake City. And I, I, I often have tried to think about why, but I have been obsessed with sports my whole life. Like, I loved watching the Olympics when I was a kid. I was obsessed with, like, Nadia Kamenichi and the gymnasts and track and field and boxing and Muhammad Ali. Like, any sports that were on TV... I was obsessed with. So I just really followed that passion. And when I was in high school, I played a lot of sports, um, wrote for the school newspaper. And then I was lucky when I went to college, I was able to really focus in on my career because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So I did broadcast journalism as a major. But then I did um, not necessarily a minor, but I took electives that were all sports related. So I took sports law, sports psychology, coaching basketball, coaching football, um, sport law, you know, all, all these different classes that I thought would help prepare me for my career moving forward. And then I wrote for the school newspaper there as well, the Utah Chronicle. So 
I'm one of those lucky people that just at an early age, I found my passion in life and I've been able to keep living it. So, I mean, I was just the biggest sports geek nerd ever and I still am. So it's kind of perfect. So did your parents instill that in you or is that just something you just, you know, came from within? I think my dad was the biggest influence in that. My dad was this amazing athlete. Um, he grew up on a small sheep farm in Manti, Utah, mm -hmm. but he lettered in something like nine or ten things in high school. So he oh, was a wow. jockey, a boxer, football, basketball, wrestling, um, just this really great all-around athlete. And then he went to the University of Utah and boxed. And um, he, he just loved all sports. And so I really feel like my dad is the first person that got me involved in sports. I can remember going to BYU football games when I was maybe five years old, six years old. And he took us to University of Utah basketball games. And we just lived kind of a sports life as a family. You'll get, you'll get a kick out of this story. So we used to have this famous gym in Salt Lake City, Utah, called the Deseret Gym. And our family went there every Saturday my whole life. And he would go out and play basketball. And, you know, if you're on a basketball court playing pickup, to stay on the court, you have to win. Yeah. And so it would be me and my three sisters and my dad. And my dad's 5'3", <laughs> and all of us are little short women. And it would be Del Rowe and his four daughters out on the court um, trying to beat these grown men at the noon basketball <laughs> league or the Saturday basketball league at the Deseret Gym. So I really think I get a lot of my competitiveness from my dad and just trying to stay on the court and pick up basketball games. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So what sport were you best at growing up? I was best at softball growing up and volleyball. So the that's probably my great regret in life. I wish I could go back and be a college softball player. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm just old enough that Title IX was just starting to kind of kick in when I was in high school and when I was younger. And so we didn't have a high school softball team. And it's just one of my great regrets in life. You know, I played rec ball. I played church ball at the, you know, the Mormon church where I grew up. Mm -hmm. They have lots of, um, you know, church ball leagues. And so I played everything, but that was kind of my great love. And so I'm lucky that now I get to cover the Women's College World Series and I cover softball now for a living so that, that's my frustration in life I'm a frustrated softball player at heart <laughs> yes ma'am so what made you decide to go to the University of Utah did you want to be close to home or you know, what led to ultimately led to that decision well, I, I, I first went to BYU because BYU had a really great communication program, and then I transferred and went to the University of Utah. And um, it, it was just, they had a really good news department. So I had some really great professors um, that were really instrumental in teaching me how to do my job. I'll never forget, I had one professor, she's probably still to this day the most impactful that I had, named Louise Dang. And she'd been a former editor, a newspaper editor, and so she had a really good journalistic background. And I remember doing stories and we'd turn our story in and would be like, well, this camera didn't work and my audio wasn't quite right. And, you know, but here's our story. And she would always say, I don't want to hear about the elephants. Like, I don't want to hear about the elephants that walked through your shot. I just want you to complete a good professional story and turn it in. I don't want to hear all the drama about how you got it done. And I was like, oh, that's what a good editor should do is like, I don't want to hear. There's a funny line. I don't want to hear about the delivery. Just show me the baby, you know? <laughs> and so that, that taught me a lot in my career of viewers at home and people behind the scenes. They don't want to know all the drama of what it took to get that story necessarily. They just want you to deliver the story. So 
Definitely, definitely. So, no, you you said that you you worked, um, you know, for the broadcasting department on campus at uh, at the University of Utah. So, can you talk a little bit about your journey and how you got from there to, you know, ESPN? Yeah, I, I really credit. I had a couple of really important mentors. Um, Chris Tunis was a local radio host here that gave me a lot of opportunities. And then Rick Majerus, the head basketball coach at the University of Utah, was very helpful to me. So when I was getting ready to get out of college, you know, I was a student and I had been, I took coaching basketball and from him and I got an A. And um, I'd go and like study, study his scouting reports and I'd come to practice a lot. And he would just kind of let me, um, learn from him and I ended up asking him to write me a letter of recommendation and his letter of recommendation um, helped me land an internship at CBS Sports in New York. So I went from Utah to New York City and I can just remember getting off the bus and being like, oh my gosh, I'm too scared to even walk anywhere. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, like I'm just this dumb kid from Utah. I'm just being terrified of New York City, but, you know, I kind of found my way and started getting more and more comfortable, and that internship that Coach Majerus helped me get was very important to me because I met people there that then went on to work at ESPN, and I ended up sending them resume tapes and contacting them, and I really do believe that internship opened a lot of doors for me mentally in like, oh, here are the jobs that are available. And also from a meeting people and networking perspective. So one great story I have is um, there's a sideline reporter who's kind of the, I'll call her the OG sideline reporter back in the day, <laughs> Leslie Visser. She's in the Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Fame. Um, just this great reporter back in the day that was kind of one of the first women to do that job. And I met her at CBS Sports, and I'm just this dumb intern passing out binders at a meeting, and she took me under her wing and was great to me. And she said, have you ever thought about being a sideline reporter? And I didn't really even know the term or knew what that was, you know, because cable TV hadn't really started, and you know, it just was different. TV was different back then. And so she was the first person that actually said to me, which well, you should think about being a sideline reporter. So, um, you know, she, she mentored me and was great to me. And that's kind of where it all started for me. So then you started off with ESPN part-time and just based off my knowledge of, you know, basically having conversations with you and Grandpa Shell and other people, it's hard to make it in this industry. It's hard to make it in this business. So what do you think led to your success in this business? I think that there were a couple of things that I did that were really important. Is One, I, I will not be outworked. Like, I work my butt off, and I do that. I'm, I'm a person that I always go the extra mile. And I've just kind of lived my life that way. And every time I do that, like, literally every time I'm like, oh, I'm tired, I don't want to go here, or, oh, I don't think I really need to do that, I force myself to do it, and then I get rewarded. So I'll give you this great example of I was working at BYU TV, so I'd gotten out of college, I'd done my internship at New York in New York and I came back to Utah and I worked at this company called the Blue and White Sports Network and they did BYU and Air Force football games. So I would get to do like their halftime features and little stories and then eventually I got to do some sideline reporting for them. And one day, um, we had the big Utah versus BYU football game. And this was in 1995. And I had just had a baby in June. So I had a, a baby that was 
five five or six months old mm-hmm. and was working at this BYU TV station and ABC Sports came in and they took our game. So you know how like sometimes ESPN takes your game for ba- for Baylor yeah. for basketball or CBS comes in and takes your game. So this particular game, the local people we didn't get to do it. ABC came in and took the game, and I happened to notice they didn't have a sideline reporter. So I I called a few people and I was like, "What's going on?" And they said, "Oh, it's just such a low level game. They haven't assigned a sideline reporter." So I called the producer at ABC and said, "I do the games here locally for BYU. I'm prepared to do this game. Um, you know, I went to the University of Utah. I've covered this rivalry for six years, and they let me be the sideline reporter for that game." So that to me was like the biggest break in my career because I figured out that if that game didn't have a sideline reporter, then wherever they were the next week might not have one. Yeah. And so I literally was like, okay, what's your game next week? And they said, San Diego State at San Jose State. And I was like, oh, I'll be in San Jose. I could do that game too if you'll let me. So I would, I, I took a train once, like I would scrape together enough money for a ticket because I was just this young, broke mom. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I found a way to get to these games and do the sidelines. And little did I know, but games are on satellite back to the station in New York City to their control room. And somebody back there saw my work and thought I was good and ended up offering me a contract for the next season. So that that little, um, you know, just trying hard and being like, hey, I've got an idea. I can make this happen and I'm willing to work for it. That really opened the door for me for ABC Sports and ESPN. So basically the attitude we talked about earlier that your dad instilled into you, the competitiveness and the, you know, whatever it takes mentality, you know, translated to when you were older and you were able to do whatever it takes and go to any measure to get that job. And then once you got an opportunity, you took advantage of your opportunities. So, you know, that's, that's a life lesson that I feel like everybody can can relate to because you got to take advantage of your opportunities when the opportunity presents itself. And a lot of people yeah. aren't ready for the moment when the moment comes. So I feel like people... Right. I mean, it's... It's like we, we, you and I have talked about this is yeah. like trying to get your broadcasting career started is you're going to have these moments when an opportunity presents itself. And that's what I think I keep harping with you on uh, is like, you've got to be ready. And that means you've got to be practicing and preparing before your moment arises. Because once that moment arises, the preparation, it's too late to start the preparation. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I'm always I'm always like, okay, what do I have to do? How can I how can I get better? And I really do credit my dad and just being competitive. And um, also, I grew up in the Mormon Church, um, very very strict religious family. And every week we would have what my dad called the personal progress report, and we would my dad would meet with each of his kids individually. And when I say this out loud, I'm like, it sounds kind of crazy and maybe borderline child abuse-ish, but I think it's made me who I am. Yeah. And I had to set goals. We with my dad and then my dad would check in with me and see how I was doing on those goals and after he passed away I was going through all of his old stuff and he had still kept some of my little handwritten sheets and goals and I mean I have these papers of like handwriting from when I'm 10 and 11 and 12 years old of me setting goals Um, and, and I still live my life like that today so I really credit my mom and dad for setting me off on a great path in life yeah that's a that's a actually pretty good idea it actually makes a lot of sense um so you know up to this point in your career 
to the point to where you started working for ESPN, have you faced any adversities, any setbacks, or anything that you know basically came unexpected to you? Oh my gosh, how long do you have for this podcast? I mean, I <laughs> faced a lot of adversity. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I think it was hard. I, I was a single mom mm-hmm. for a long time in my son's life, and that was a real challenge. Um, I've kind of forgotten about it in some ways because, you know, we made it work, and he's 24 years old now, and mm-hmm. kind of made it through all the tough years. But I look back on some of my my life, and there was a time where I was working for ESPN, and I was, you know, on TV, but I was really only making about twenty four, twenty five thousand $25,000 a year. And once football season was over, I didn't work again until the next football season for ESPN. I would have to scrabble together other jobs, and I would work for a local TV station in Utah, or I would do traffic reports for uh, radio stations here. And I would have to go to work and be to work at 4.30 or 5 in the morning and do these traffic reports all through the rush hours for people. And I had this little room by my and I would just sit there and check all the routes and do all the traffic reports and I had a young child so I would take wake up my son in his pajamas take him to work with me he would sleep on the floor in the radio station I'd do the radio reports and then I would take him home. And I, I mean, I'm one, I'm grateful for bosses and people that knew I was a struggling single mom. And, you know, they allowed me to have my child around, you know, Fox 13 in Salt Lake City would let me bring him to work. And, you know, he'd just sit there and play with his toys while I was logging videotapes. And, um, you know, early in my career, I took him to almost all my ESPN games. And he'd just be there on the sidelines with me. So I think that was a challenge I've even kind of forgotten about. But I remember sometimes where I was like, I don't know if I can make the rent. I don't know if I can, you know, make make ends meet. And it was stressful. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say that's a major adversity that, I've, that I have overcome in my life. And then more recently, um, I was diagnosed with cancer four years ago. And that has been a huge shock and a life path change that I did not see coming. And it just really took me by surprise. And I would say that's probably the biggest challenge I've, I've had to try to overcome in life. So... When you heard the news that you had cancer, what 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 were your feelings? What were your emotions? So, um, I had had a biopsy of a suspicious spot on my chest, and it came back, and the doctor called me and said that it was melanoma. And at that time, I didn't really know much about melanoma. It just was like, oh, they'll just do a surgery and cut it off, and everything will be fine. And once, I, once I've gotten into this, and I've realized just how deadly, it's the deadliest skin cancer. And I, I've actually had three different recurrences where it spread, and I had to have multiple surgeries. And... Um, this, I'm trying to remember, you might have been a freshman on the team at this time, but mm-hmm. I did a game at Baylor um, on a Monday night. It was Big Monday, and I flew home, and that next morning at like 8 a.m., I had I had one of my surgeries. So I remember being at Baylor thinking, man, I'm, I'm here doing this game, and you know, nobody here really knows what's ahead of me tomorrow. It's going to be crazy. So yeah. that was an interesting experience. But um, uh, I ended up having it spread, and I had some inoperable tumors in my lung. And at one point, you know, the doctors were telling me that when you get inoperable tumors in your lung, that's usually a death sentence, and that they thought there was a time that I was possibly going to die. Most patients with that live about six to nine months. But I've been really blessed and 
fortunate because I've been on something called immunotherapy. It's actually shrinking the tumors in my lungs, and um, I'm feeling good, and my treatments are going well. So, you know, through the grace of God and lots of prayers and, and great cancer research and science, I'm, I'm very hopeful about my future. So... What got you through this? Was it faith? Was it maybe a relationship with a friend? What helped you overcome this, uh, you know, this devastating news? I think, I do think faith. I do believe strongly in the power of prayer, and I can't tell you how many people have been praying for me. And they tell, you know, complete strangers have walked up to me and said, we've been praying for you, and I just break down in tears like that. It just means the world to me. <laughs> Um, so I do think that my faith and my prayers and, and the prayers of many people have helped me. But I also think that my passion for life, and in particular my passion for sport, has been a big reason that I've come through this well. Is I, I am I live big. I, I'm a passionate person. You know, I want to experience everything in life and. And I think that having things to look forward to, like I would set little goals. I, you know, I had this big surgery, but I was like, all right, I've got to get back for the Kansas at Texas men's basketball game because if KU wins, they'll clinch their 14th straight Big 12 championship. Or um, I, I wanted to make sure I got my tubes and my stuff out of my incision in time to work the Big 12 championship um, in Kansas City that year. Um, or I wanted to get through my treatment so I could be sure to work the WNBA draft that year. You know, so I would set all these little goals of, okay, I want to I want to be good enough so I can work this event that I love so much. So I really believe that prayer and passion, that might just be the easiest, quick way to say it, has really gotten me through. Yeah, one thing I saw that you did that, you know, was really powerful was, you know, you shaved your head. And for your courage to, you know, do that and then go on TV, report like that, then post on social media about it and, you know, use the hashtag bald is beautiful. You know, I thought that that was powerful and that was huge. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? What made you want to do that? Yeah, so uh, during one of my intensive periods of chemotherapy, um, the drugs I was on caused my hair to start falling out. And it was really stressful because like, I'd be in the shower and, and you know, you imagine washing your hair and everything that you're scrubbing with your finger all of a sudden just comes out in your hand. And you're just like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Or I would wake up and there would just be hair all over my pillow, like a little puppy had been sleeping on my pillow. And, you know, I kept cutting my hair shorter and shorter, like hoping maybe I could keep some hair and it would stop falling out. And one day I woke up and I just had big patches that were falling out. And my mom said, honey, this is too stressful. You know, this daily losing of your hair is just making you so sad. Let's just go shave it off and start over. And then it's not going to be falling out in small increments. You you can control it. And then it will just start growing back. And so we went one day, me and my mom, and um, the, the woman took off what was left of my hair. And it was tough, you know. It was like, because when I had the hair and I'm on TV, no matter what the surgeries have been or what the treatments have been, I still looked normal. And I didn't look sick. And I felt like when I lost my hair... I looked like a cancer patient, and that was really hard. And as as vain and dumb as that sounds, like when you look sick, people just feel so bad for you. And you know, like I don't know, that was a really tough time for me. So I did get this wig. I had this hideous wig, and I wore her for about I don't know four four or five events on TV because I really didn't want to be bald on TV. I thought, well, I'll just fake it like I still have hair. And I remember doing a football game, Notre Dame at Texas on a Sunday night on ABC 
game goes into overtime, like this great game, and it's like 105 degrees, and I'm wearing this wig, and I'm sweating to death. And I was like, I don't think I can keep wearing the wig. And then I had a few athletes, um, Candace Parker and Necro McClay, that played for the Sparks um, in the WNBA. They were kind of the first people that were like, you look so cute without your wig. Just don't wear it anymore. Because I would go to practices or behind-the-scenes stuff about it because it was so hot and sweaty. And, um, you know, like I really credit other people for just accepting me and loving me no matter how I looked and being like, you got this, you can do it, just go on TV without your, your wig. And so the first event I did without my wig was the WNBA game at Minnesota Lynx at LA Sparks. Yeah, so a lot of people, when they hit adversity, when they hit roadblocks, they let that deter them from their goals or they let them they let that set them back. You know, it seems like with you, you didn't let this adversity stop anything. You kept going and you kept progressing and you were determined to beat this uh, cancer. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, you, you brought these memories up for me from childhood of, of having goals and making lists and, like, I, I'm a striving person. I'm somebody that's always like, okay, well, how can I get better? What can I do? That helped with the cancer, too, because, like, I made myself a poster board chart, and I would go and make a big X on every day that I have chemo. And, like, okay, here's my goal. I can make it to the end of these 30 days and make these little X. You know, like, I just kept making little milestones for myself. Okay, once this happens, then I'm going to do this. And I just kept planning ahead. And I don't know, maybe just having goals and having a future in mind helped me have a future. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. So, you know, if there's somebody out there going through a troubling time or facing adversity and they don't know how to overcome this, what is something that you would tell them? This is something that was very important to me, and and I do think we can all get really caught up in planning too far ahead or, like, worrying about what's next and worrying about, well, I've got to do X, Y, Z. And during during the cancer, I'm definitely that type of person. But during the cancer, you know, there were times where I didn't know if I was going to be alive in a month or in six months. And so I stopped trying to worry about, am I going to die or what's ahead for me? And I started worrying about every day. So, for example, I, I would have something happen during the course of the day, and I would just be like, oh, my gosh, this is the best, most joyful moment. Um, I, I can remember just, like, laughing my guts out with friends and being like, this is the moment I'm living for right now. Or I remember being um, hearing a children's choir from Harlem sing the national anthem at a WNBA game and just sitting there and soaking it in and being like, in this moment right now, I am so happy and so joyful. And those little moments, uh, I'm going to cry, but those little moments just made my days so joy-filled. Um, but that, that's what kept me going. So I have a positive outlook on the negativity and everything that you're facing is what basically, you know what I feel like you're saying. So your your story is definitely an inspiration. It inspires me, helps me keep going. And you have been one of the uh, most helpful, you know, one of my mentors, one of the most helpful people that, you know, I know. And I appreciate you and the world appreciates you and your your bright attitude and the spirit that you bring to, you know, the football field or the basketball court or the, the baseball field. So let me let me ask you one quick question. Yes, ma'am. So, you know, you, you've had a similar journey in your life where, um, you know, I remember talking to your dad when you were 
moments from your prayer about your heart mm-hmm. condition and, and how that's impacted your life. And, you know, you never gave up. You you made a decision that you could have easily quit basketball and been, you know, believed the doctors when they said you shouldn't play. Is Why did you overcome that adversity? How did you do it? Um, I think it was really just faith and my parents' belief because, you know, for the longest, the doctor told me I could never play again, but and my parents instilled in me that work ethic when I was younger, you know, never give up. And my mom, when she heard the news, you know, it was hard. I was crying, but when she heard the news, she told me this, you know, this is, I mean, it's, it's real, but this is not going to define you. This is not going to end you. You're going to overcome this. And just her speaking those words into me on a daily basis, my dad, the same thing. You know, they basically told me you're going to overcome this. And even if this does keep you from playing basketball, then this isn't what God had in store for you. God had a different plan for you, a different route for you. So you can't take, you know, this as something bad. You got to look at it kind of like what you said earlier. Look at it as something positive and that I'll make the most out of this situation. So if it's not basketball, then let's say I go into broadcasting. I make the most out of my career in broadcasting because that's what God intended me intended for me to do in the first place because you know our lives I feel like our lives are already predestined and people and God already has a plan for us that we don't see so sometimes mm-hmm. when we don't see that we get mad and we feel like God doesn't love us but in the end of the day you know we really just can't harp on that we got to take take it for what it is and move on and move forward so I think my parents belief and you know, their positive words of encouragement really got me through that troubling time beautiful. Yes, ma'am. I can't wait to see what how your future unfolds. I think it's going to be awesome. It's going to be exciting to see. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure hearing your voice. It's a blessing for you, and I'm, I'm grateful you had me. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Man, that was a great conversation. Holly Rose is an unbelievable woman. Uh, I'm so glad she did my show. You know, she's always, I was kind of nervous because she always interviews me and now it's time for me to interview her. So I was kind of nervous, but it went well. And I'm so glad she's on my show. Next week, I'm really excited about this episode because a lot of people have seen the movie Coach Carter, but not too many people know that Coach Carter is not Samuel L. Jackson. But there's an actual Ken Carter and he is going to be on the show next week to talk about no other topic than... You guessed it, discipline. Tune in next week to hear the Coach Carter. Thanks for listening to Kings Court Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at king.mcclure. 